0: What does it look like when we love other people extravagantly? When we really love our neighbors like we love ourselves? Butch Marion is 82 years old and he's from Western Maryland around Cumberland. My wife Megan sent me a story about him around Christmas time and that story has kept developing. Although he was 82 years old, for the past 16 years or so he's been working at Walmart. And before that, a long time ago, he spent around 10 years in the Navy, and then he had factory jobs for General Motors and then for Honeywell. But he hasn't been able to find a way to retire for financial reasons until this January. Back in December, he met a man named Rory McCarty. Rory came into Walmart to buy some batteries, and while he was waiting in the checkout line, he saw Butch working hard and he got an idea. Uh, Rory runs a a pest exterminating company and he generates business through his TikTok account. I don't know if he does funny dances or if he just films bugs, but he's amassed quite a following of, of like around a quarter of a million people who follow his TikTok account. And so he got this idea, I think from somebody else online, to start a fundraiser to help Butch retire. And in a pretty short amount of time, they raised over $150,000 for Butch to be able to settle any debts that he has, and then to look forward to a different kind of life of uh, fishing, and visiting his daughter and his grandchildren in Florida, and Butch was able to retire this January, after he gave notice to his employer, just through a a simple but yet pretty profound act of generosity, his life was dramatically changed. Now maybe nobody's ever, I would imagine, nobody's ever tried to start a fundraiser so that you could retire. That's unusual, but can you think of people throughout your life story who have influenced you and invested in you, who have who have given to you, who have... Coached you through challenges or difficult moments, or helped you figure out some problem in life. People who generously demonstrated love to you, poured love into your life, maybe even challenged you or corrected you in some way, and changed the course of your life. Don't we want to be those kinds of people? I mean, I think all of us, we would hope that one day somebody's telling their story and they mention us and think about us because in some way we were able to influence them in a positive direction through through the way that we, well, through the way we loved them extravagantly, the way that we loved them the way that we love ourselves. That's really what we're talking about today. In this three-part series. This is the third part to start a new year. We've been remembering what kind of people we want to be. We want to be people at LifePoint who love God completely with everything we are, with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, with everything that we have. And then we want to love each other who are part of this church unselfishly. And we also want to reach out and love other people extravagantly. People who have never walked through the doors of our church. People who are in our community. Even people who, <laughs> who might be in some other part of the world and have never heard of LifePoint. We want to be people who are extravagantly living out love for others so that we're influencing their lives in dynamic and profound and powerful ways, even through the simple actions that we take. And so today we want to think just a little bit about what it looks like when we live that kind of life and when we love other people extravagantly. We're continuing to learn from Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bible or an app you can open up either here in the room or you're watching at home, then find your way to Matthew chapter 22 because You can look at these verses one more time. We're going to read them out loud, and you can also follow along on the screens. This is Jesus speaking, beginning in verse 37. Jesus was answering a question, and he replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love your neighbor the way that you love yourself. What does that look like when we love other people extravagantly? Now remember Jesus was answering a question here from a teacher of the religious law who asked him, what's the most important commandment of all? And Jesus combined these two commands and said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, everything that you are, and then love other people like you love yourself. And evidently, these kinds of questions and conversations, they were kind of a regular thing for Jesus. As he was traveling and walking around his region and teaching people, he had multiple conversations like this where he was challenged with a question and then he would respond and have a conversation. And there's another passage that can shed light on Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus engaged in a similar conversation with another questioner. This story is recorded in Luke chapter 10. If you'd like, you can find your way there. You can read that story sometime later this week. I'm going to tell you the story. In Luke chapter 10, another teacher of religious law, a religious kind of a lawyer, he stood up and he challenged Jesus. And his question was a little bit different. He said, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds in a way that, well, it takes me off guard. It Kind of surprises me, but it wouldn't have surprised his audience. Jesus then asked him, well, what did Moses say about that? What did Moses write about that in the law? And then this religious lawyer and teacher replied to Jesus, and he used the same words that we find in Jesus' mouth in Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with everything that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, you got it. If you do that, you'll live. You'll have eternal life. Now that really does kind of throw me for a loop. Because in other places, in other passages of scripture, when Jesus has conversations with people and they're looking for new life and and they want something that he's offering, he's very clear about how they simply need to believe in him and trust in him. Uh, he told the woman at the well, you're trying to draw water from this well, but what you really need is to draw water from me because I'm the source of living water that doesn't just sustain your life here like water from the well. I can give you water that gives you eternal life. And to Nicodemus, you remember, you might remember in John chapter three, Nicodemus came questioning and and, and he was asking Jesus very similar questions and Jesus told him, well, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. We get the very famous quotation from Jesus. God so loved the whole world that he sent his son. He gave his one and only son. And now whoever believes in him, believes in the son of God in Jesus, has everlasting, eternal life. So it kind of puzzled me. What's Jesus saying? Yeah, if you... If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you love your neighbors yourself, is he teaching that there's some actions we can do or works that we can perform to get eternal life? I really don't think so at all. But I believe he was making a strong point. Jesus was meeting his audience, his people, right where they were in life. And and he was using the Old Testament scriptures to teach them about himself. And the reality is, That it's impossible to love God with all of our heart if we don't receive the love that Jesus gives us and, and allow his love to infiltrate us. To love God with all our hearts, it means that we'll trust Jesus, that we'll have faith in him, that we will receive his love into our lives, into our heart, and And then we're transformed. We we then actually have the capacity to love God completely and then to love other people in in new ways. Now, in, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus continued talking with his questioner. And after that initial part of their conversation, the man came back with another question. He said, so Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now this man, he kind of knew where he wanted to go because he wanted to very carefully define who his neighbor was and who his neighbor was not. Who was included in this neighborly kind of love and who he could ignore, who could be excluded. And then Jesus responded and he told a story, a story that you've probably heard before. He said there was a, there was a, a man, a Jewish man who was traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho. And as he was traveling along a dangerous part of that road, he was attacked and robbed by thieves, and they beat him up. They took everything he had, and they left him for dead by the side of the road. It wasn't that long that another man started traveling down that same road, and this man was a priest who worked in the temple. The priest saw this bleeding person by the roadside and then he just passed right by and kept on walking. Not long after that, a second person came traveling along that road, and this person is a Levite. This is a temple worker, not a priest, but a staff member who worked on the temple grounds and, and had some kind of responsibilities facilitating worship. Who knows what their job was, but, but they, were, they were insiders. This other person, they also saw the man lying there by the road and, Walked right on past. Well, not long after that, there was a a third traveler on that same road. This person was a Samaritan. The Samaritan also saw this broken, bleeding body by the roadside. And instead of passing by, the Samaritan felt compassion in his heart, and he went over to that wounded person, and then he dressed the wounds and bandaged and and tried to help that wounded person and put him on his own donkey, and then traveled to a nearby inn and And put him in a bed, a place to rest, and tried to see to his needs. And then the next morning, when it was time for the Samaritan to leave and go on his way, he even paid the innkeeper extra money so that this wounded person could continue to recover until they were fully well and until they could travel again. And he even told the innkeeper, if you run out of money from what I've given you, you know I'm going to pass right back through. I'll I'll pay you back. Just put it on my tab. And I'll pay whatever it is that he uses. Then Jesus asked a question. He asked his audience. He asked the man who was bringing these questions. Now, now who was the neighbor to the wounded man? That questioner couldn't even form the word Samaritan and spit it through his teeth. Instead, he said, well the one who showed him mercy. Jesus' story about the Good Samaritan, it's it's not just a kind, gentle story to help us feel good or teach a moral lesson. Jesus' story was scandalous and outrageous to his audience. He was upending their expectations. Nobody in that audience expected for the hero of Jesus' story, of his parable, to be a Samaritan. Samaritans were hated by everybody who was listening to Jesus. And this was a hatred that was way beyond anything that we might experience between Republicans and Democrats. I mean, this was a deep-seated, boiling, seething hatred that had been carefully cultivated for centuries. It was based in deep racial and ethnic and religious divides. This questioner, this man who was challenging Jesus, didn't have any desire to love a Samaritan, and he probably would have been expecting, as he heard Jesus' story, and as the people heard Jesus' story, and he's kind of he's kind of blasting the priestly class, the people who ran the temple, they were probably expecting this third person to come along to be just a regular common Jewish person or maybe even a Pharisee because they were religious teachers of the law who mixed with the people and they were kind of against that whole priestly class system that was based in Jerusalem. But Jesus, Jesus shocked everyone by making the hero of his story, this Samaritan who actually showed mercy and who demonstrates to us still today what it looks like when we love people with an extravagant, abundant, overflowing kind of love. So I want us to pull out three different concepts from Jesus' story about the Good Samaritan where he illustrated for us and told us what it looks like when we love our neighbors like we love ourselves and figure out what those realities look like in our life and in our context, how we can apply them wherever we live. First, when we love people extravagantly, we take a significant risk. Love is risky business. Now, the audience that was listening to Jesus' story, they knew about the road that Jesus mentioned between Jerusalem and Jericho. It was probably a little less than 20 miles. And and it was... It was treacherous territory. I had the chance to see part of this ancient pathway that, that still in sections exists between Jerusalem and Jericho. And we looked down from cliffs and we saw this twisting, winding path. There's a significant drop in elevation from Jerusalem that sits up higher to Jericho, about 3,000 feet in drop from Jerusalem traveling down toward Jericho, and about five miles south of Jericho, outside of Jericho, the path becomes really treacherous. Uh, It's windy. There are caves all along the pathway, and in Jesus' day, those caves were known as a place where little bands of thieves and robbers would sometimes hide out, and then they would pop out and surprise and attack travelers who were moving along that pathway, and that area was actually called Red Rocks. Because the rocks on those cliffs, they have a reddish hue and color to them, but also because blood would flow in that area when people were attacked. And so this thing that happened to this traveler on the road, it wasn't really that uncommon. Those those things happened on that roadway. We don't really know what was going on inside the mind of that priest and that temple worker when they passed right on by. But maybe they were afraid. Because those same thieves who attacked and left this wounded person for dead, they, they could certainly be nearby. And if they tried to stop and give aid to this man that's down and probably going to die anyway, well, who's to say they wouldn't just jump out and attack them too? The Samaritan's the one who stopped and absorbed that risk and took on that liability. Whenever we choose to love another person, we're taking on a significant risk because we might be misunderstood. And what we think in our mind as a loving action, they might receive differently. Somebody else who's, who's a bystander, they, they might not understand at all. and We may end up being attacked or it's possible that We could get hurt in the process. Maybe we're going to make things worse and not better in some way. Whenever we choose to love, we always are taking on a significant risk. C.S. Lewis wrote a book about love called The Four Loves. And there's a a fairly famous and well-known section where he's describing what, what this kind of love looks like. I want to read it for you, and you can see part of it. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, Safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers of love is hell. I don't know if if love really is a battlefield. (laughs) But it's certainly risky. And it means you can become hurt by someone else that you love. You can certainly become wounded in that process. 1 Corinthians 13 describes what love really looks like in life. Love is patient and kind It doesn't seek its own good, but it seeks the good of the other, of the one who is loved. Love's not easily angered. It doesn't want what doesn't belong to it, what belongs to someone else. Love, it doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's humble. Love doesn't just tell the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Love always protects, it always believes, it always hopes. Love always trusts, love always endures. If we're going to love other people extravagantly, like the Samaritan, we're going to take on a significant risk. And second, we will also exert life-changing influence. It was true for Butch, who was able to retire once he met Rory. It was true for this wounded person in Jesus' story when he interacted with the Good Samaritan. And we find this truth over and over in life. I don't know what kind of books or movies or stories you enjoy, but in in so many different stories, there, there's, of course, a main character, a hero, in, in a way, and along their journey and path in life, they encounter lots of other people, and there's one stereotypical kind of character who comes alongside and is a mentor or a guide in most stories and helps that hero overcome a challenge, face an obstacle, learn something new, and then move in a different positive direction. So, like, in The Hunger Games, you know, Hamish is this person for Katniss. In the Star Wars movies, Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi, they play that role for Luke Skywalker. In Huckleberry Finn, Jim is that wise voice who guides him along and helps him along his own chosen pathway. Every, almost every great story, they, they have a character like that who comes alongside and influences and, and helps someone else overcome the obstacles that they face and experience change in life. At Life Point Church, we want to be people who are influencing others to find Jesus and then to follow him with all of their life, with everything that they are. We want to exert life-changing influence. And we do that when we love other people extravagantly. And and we even, this church over time has found ways to create opportunities where we can all participate in that together through outreach, both here at home and around the world. This past week, I had the opportunity to visit a, a local rescue mission with a LifePoint member who regularly volunteers there. And it was, a, it was a great experience. I was able to tour the facility and meet some of the leadership and hear what they're engaged in every day and how they're helping people overcome addictions and how their program works and, and how they've even created a food delivery and distribution system and program where the people who are who are at the mission then then are serving others in community and taking food out to different distribution points i was so encouraged because it's through the voluntary service of people at life point and other churches like life point in our area that this mission is able to accomplish their mission and they're able to be involved in life change for people who have faced extremely significant obstacles and painful parts of life. And I I loved hearing about some of the people who have come through that program and experienced life change. That happens not only here at home in our community, it's also happening around the world. Because there is so much more that we are able to accomplish together when we pool our resources, and when we invest together, we're able to influence and change lives here and also around the world. Now, I realize this may not be for everyone, but would you be interested in exploring what it might look like for you to be part individually, yourself, part of that life change process globally around the world? I want you to take a look at the the map on the screen over this next year and then into 2024, there's several different opportunities where you can, you can jump on to a, a global outreach team to help influence people like Anastasia. You can be a part of coming alongside a school that, that helps children who are at risk or, or find ways to serve women and families who are at risk in one of these different locations. You can just follow the link that's on on the screen, lifepointchurch.us backslash global outreach. You can also scan that QR code that's in front of you on your seats. And you can explore different ways that you might be part of what God is doing through Lifepoint, through Lifepoint's global outreach over this next year. Part of what it means to be the church, to be the body of Christ, is to share the good news and to show the difference the good news makes here at home in our community but also around the world. We get to be part of that kind of that kind of life-changing experience and influence. That's an amazing thing. It's part of our mission. So I would encourage you to consider how how you might become part of what God's doing through LifePoint, globally, or perhaps locally. You can also, on the website, find local outreach opportunities where you might want to team up with one of our partners to influence people right here where we live. When we choose to love people extravagantly, we do exert a life-changing influence, actually changing the course in life for people because we are not just feeling love, but we are demonstrating love. We're taking on a significant risk. Yeah, we could get hurt in the process, but third, when we love people extravagantly, we find freedom in generosity. We find find that we are more free as we live generously. Generosity does not start in our wallets, or, or from our money or resources or our accounts, generosity begins in our hearts. As, as our hearts become open to other people, it changes our perspectives. This good Samaritan who was traveling along the road, the verbs that are used to describe him are in direct contrast to every other verb in that story. The first thing that he did, he felt compassion. And then he went to the man. And then he bound up his wounds. And then he put him on his donkey. And then he took him to the inn. And then he paid for all of his expenses. His heart influenced and changed his behavior and caused him to become more open to the people around him in need. This lawyer, this religious teacher of law who was questioning Jesus He had a very narrow idea of who his neighbor was. And he was looking for Jesus to affirm that narrow definition of neighbor. Because to the man who was challenging Jesus in Luke 10 with his question, his neighbor was other people who looked just like him and who thought the same way that he thought who came from the same cultural background that he came from, who agreed with his perspectives on just about every question. His neighbor was people who believed the same way that he did, who lived their life and acted according to the way that he thought they should be acting and making decisions. Jesus In the story that he told certainly would have made this man furious. We can even demonstrate that this is the common way that that people Jesus was talking to, that's the way they thought. When they thought about a neighbor, it was somebody like me. It's not somebody who's different from me. And somebody who looks different, acts different, believes different, comes from a different place. About 200 years before Jesus came on the scene, there was a, Famous rabbi and teacher named Ben Sira. And he wrote a book of wisdom. And it's not a bad book at all. In fact, it can be helpful and interesting to read, instructive in places. If if you happen to grow up Catholic, then in the Roman Catholic Bible there are seven books that are not included in Bibles that we Protestants use. They're called deuterocanonical books. Well, Ben Sira wrote one of these books about 200 years before Jesus arrived on the scene. And those books are excluded from the Bibles that we use for, for good reasons because there, there is some questions about who wrote some of them and then in other places some of the content and teaching uh, is, a, is somewhat questionable. I want you to see one of the statements from Ben Sirah That's from his book called Sirach. It's probably not one that you've read in your daily devotions very often. But but this is what Jesus would have been contending with and challenging with his teaching. And this lawyer who was questioning Jesus would have believed this wholeheartedly. Here's what Ben Sira said: Give to the devout, but don't help the sinner. Do good to the humble. But don't give to the ungodly, hold back their bread and do not give it to them for by means of it they might subdue you. Another rabbi who came along just after Jesus, Akiva, who was a great teacher and a wise person and, and says some things that are helpful, he even took it a little bit further and he taught now don't don't get revenge against somebody who does you wrong if if they are your countrymen, if they're one of your own people, if if they're one of us. But if that's an outsider, oh, you get even. (laughs) You go for it. There's a big gap between what Jesus is teaching and what his contemporaries were teaching and what other people believed. And sometimes I'm a little bit concerned that my life might be a little bit closer to Ben Sirah than Jesus. And maybe the biggest difference is that he said it out loud. Sometimes I think we're tempted just to live that way. It's, it's pretty easy to love people who are like me and who affirm everything that I think and the way that I am. The Good Samaritan was good... Because he wasn't that concerned about identifying who his neighbor was. He was just interested in being a good neighbor. So what about you? Are there people in your life that are difficult to love? Maybe somebody that's really close to you. Maybe somebody that you're sitting in the same row with or that you live with. Maybe somebody in your neighborhood or that you work with or that you interact with occasionally. Maybe somebody that you go to church with. Are there people in your life that that it's harder to love? Are there people that it's easy to overlook and to look straight past and to discount and to disregard and to look through and like they're not even there and to not consider their life story and experience because they frustrate us in some way those are the people jesus is calling us to love we don't need to define who our neighbor is we just need to be a neighbor and love people extravagantly this week why don't you consider who you could love extravagantly somebody here at home that's close to you maybe somebody who's in a different part of the world when we love people extravagantly, we take on a significant risk and we exert life-changing influence. We also find freedom through our hearts being opened up to treat people in generous ways. And that even translates to our wallets and how we, how we manage the resources God has given us. Because without the faithful and generous support through time and energy, and also through faithful giving. LifePoint is not able to influence people to find and follow Jesus here at home or around the world. Now today, as we conclude our service, we're gathering at the Lord's table. If, if you didn't have a chance to pick up one of those little all-in-one cups, then we're going to sing a worship song in a moment, and you can pick one up and then at the entrances of the worship center and come back. There's so much rich, deep meaning when we gather at the Lord's table. We come here and we receive a gift that we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve. We remember Jesus' sacrifice for us, his body that was broken, his blood that was poured out. We also remember Jesus' ultimate victory because he took his life again in the resurrection and he is returning And he is calling us to feast at his table in eternity. And while we are here, he is sending us so that we become his presence in our world right now, right where we live and around the world. So take a moment as we worship and thank God for his great gift and consider how his gift reminds us of who he's calling us to be. Jesus, we are are thankful for your great love, your unlimited, matchless love for us. You have loved us faithfully and sacrificially. Today we're coming to your table and we are remembering how you demonstrated your love by giving your life. Help us also to remember that you took your life again that you share your life eternal life with us and then you are sending us out into our communities into our neighborhoods even around the world to be your presence on earth right now to show other people through our lives through our attitudes the way that you loved us lord help us to be those kinds of people take us and speak your name over us and our minds, our hearts, our lives, so that as you send us out, you are able to push into new territory and expand the borders of your kingdom as we're living out your values.